Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Kill Count, the podcast that dissects the deaths in some of your favorite horror movies. Everything from Frankenstein to Freddy Krueger. To make things a bit more fun, each episode will attempt to remember the number of kills that occur, and vitally, the gruesome details of these cinematic slayings. Each episode will also have a sprinkling of horror bonus features, including horrifying haikus and can't-miss B-movie recommendations. I will be your Crypt Keeper this week. My name's Allie, and I'm a horror junkie just looking for a good time talking about death and destruction. I'm joined by Mike, a producer, film journalist, and horror podcaster. Hello, Mike. Hello. And Dan who always sees himself as the guy who would die within the first five minutes of any horror film. Hello, Ali. Uh, I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you guys don't know what film we're talking about today? No. Do you have any idea? Absolutely I... no idea. No? I mean, I know what you're like, so yeah, I have yeah. a vague idea. Okay. About... <laughs> today, we will be discussing Red Dragon. Oh. I need your advice, Dr. Lecter. If you recall well, our last collaboration ended rather messily. So it's true the Lecter's actually helping with your investigation. We may have a little over three weeks before this freak does it again. I might not have time. I do. I have oodles. So originally a 1981 novel by Thomas Harris, Red Dragon introduced readers to the character of Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a cannibalistic serial killer affectionately named Hannibal the Cannibal. So, Dan, what's your relationship with the character of Hannibal and also, like, this larger kind of canon of Thomas Harris's world of, of, of Hannibal? I've seen a lot of the movies. I've seen Manhunter. Manhunter is great. I wish he'd called it Man with two N's, Hunter, because it's Michael Mann. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Nice. My, my main uh, entry point to Hannibal was the series mm. with um, Hugh Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen. Mm -hmm. They are my... Uh, Hannibal and Will Graham. That's yeah. that's who I think of when I think of those characters. Yeah, I am. I'm similar in that I did not watch Red Dragon first for sure. I mean, I think my obvious coming to it was Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. But actually, in preparation for this, for the very first time, I read the novel, and mm. I'm going to take my hot take right now and say that the novel, out of Manhunter, Red Dragon, and the book itself, is the superior work. Mm. I think. So? I think you're in the, the... I mean, we'll go into it. We'll go into it. Yeah. Mike. Uh, yeah, I, I love Hannibal Lecter. I think my uh, my go-to, you know, like, it's impossible to say what your favourite film of all time is, but one of my go-to answers is The Silence of the Lambs. I think it mm. is a perfect film. I absolutely love it. Um, so I've seen that a zillion times. I know it off by heart. Actually, Red Dragon, I know a lot less. I've seen Manhunter a lot. 
I've seen Red Dragon a few times, but not for a very long time. Uh, and I read the novel as well, but back at school. So mm. it's been a while. So I've got to kind of jog my own memory. And uh, I remember, obviously, I love The Silence of the Lambs. I remember kind of being a bit disappointed with Hannibal, the sequel. And then they went back with Red Dragon and mm-hmm. kind of, I think they went back to what made Silence of the Lambs so great, which is Hannibal Lecter being locked in a cell, which is when he's yeah. best. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting as well, because uh, every single time Hannibal appears, you know, prior to Hannibal and Hannibal Rising, mm-hmm. he isn't the villain. No, really. No, no. Uh, which we can talk about a bit more because it's it's interesting that he's still the, kind of the most compelling character. <laughs> Definitely. Despite the fact that he is just locked in a cell. Definitely. I think in The Silence of the Lambs, there's a, 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 a he's on screen for something like 15 minutes in total across the whole film. And he won an Oscar for it and everything. And everyone remembers Hannibal Lecter. But yeah, he was quite a minor role. And I think from memory, it's probably quite similar with Red Dragon as well. So yeah. Yeah, mm. he's definitely in more of the film. Uh-huh. I think they were by like, this point, he let's was a roll him out. Yeah. Uh, and he's campier in this one. Of course. Well, of course. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so if I could please ask both of you to make your guesses as to how many kills you think are in this film. This is hard, this one. It is. It is. I If I hadn't obviously been studying the works closely over the last, you know, couple of weeks, mm-hmm. I wouldn't know. Yeah. 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 I feel like I could make a pretty good ballpark guess. Yeah. Um, especially if you're familiar with the novel as well. Yeah. So can I just just to clarify as well, we're not really including like murders that might have happened prior to the film starting, I guess. So right? I've included all the deaths that I would say happen in the film Diegesis. Sure. OK. OK. Great. 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 But I'm not including things that. Like, like when they talk the about context... past murders or whatever. Yes. Yeah. 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 OK. Although I don't know. We'll see how you feel about, okay. about this going in. Yeah. We can contest this. Yeah. So, um, have you guys both made your guesses? I think so. I don't feel confident about it at all. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Dan, you can go first. I am going to go for a nice round five. Mm. (laughs) Interesting. I've gone slightly higher. I've gone seven, but based on nothing, really. (laughs) So, let's see if you guys are right. The film opens with Hannibal Lecter enjoying a night at the orchestra. A faulty flute player noticeably annoys him throughout the performance. Later that night, Hannibal hosts a dinner party for the orchestra's board of directors. Mike, would you like to take a guess at the first kill? Yeah, I think it is the dodgy flute player, isn't it? Ding, ding, ding. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> so uh, during the dinner, the disappearance of the flute player is mentioned. A dinner guest asks what the what meat the amuse-bouche they're being served is. But Lecter slyly says, if he tells her, well, she might not try it. <laughs> so that would be... One death down. I wonder what was what the meat was. I oh. <laughs> what could it be? <laughs> I must say, Hannibal, speaking for the rest of the herd. <laughs> I'm sorry, for the symphony board. Oh. That these little soirees of yours are always the highlight of our year. Just yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I do feel a bit guilty enjoying such a lovely evening when one of our musicians is still listed as a missing person. Yes, poor fellow. Later. Will Graham visits Lecter, and we learn he's been working to catch a serial killer called the Chesapeake Ripper. The killer has been removing edible body parts from its victims, and Graham suspects it's the work of a cannibal. During the meeting, Graham notices Lecter's annotated copy of a medical textbook and discovers the truth. You're the best forensic psychiatrist I know, and somehow in all our time together, this possibility never occurred to you. I am only human, Well, Perhaps I made a mistake. You don't strike me as a man who makes very many mistakes. Hannibal is the killer who saw that coming. 
Lecter stabs Graham, but is also shot in the struggle. Lecter is imprisoned, and Graham retires from the FBI, traumatized by the experience. So I know it's quite early, but I felt like this was a good time for us to play our first game. Nice. Uh, I mean, I couldn't pass up the opportunity of you are trapped in Hannibal Lecter's home. He's serving a dinner party, and he doesn't have his main course lined up just quite yet. Go figure. It's probably going to be you. Uh, how do you survive in this scenario? Uh, I don't. I, <laughs> I mean, don't you, you, you prefaced are the yourself person. really well in the introduction, <laughs> so I feel like you've kind of cheated a little bit. I'm a goner. I've seen enough Hannibal films and series to know that I don't stand, stand a chance. I Ooh, I could pretend I'm also a cannibal. <laughs> If that's going to work at all. <laughs> You're just like, right, what are we having? Like, I can help you. That's you know, pretty good. Rather than kill me, that's I can help you. He'd probably see right through me, but that, I'll go with that. Okay. Hmm. Mike, can you outdo that? I feel like Hannibal Lecter must have a decent kitchen, right? So there must be some good <laughs> kitchen implements. Yeah, sure. Uh, I just, I'd have to pick one, a good one. You know, maybe like a... Some something really sharp, like what, like an electric carving knife. He must have a good electric carving knife, right? Because of all that human flesh, no doubt. Yeah. Medium rare. So I would go for. I would. I would find my nearest sharp You'd kitchen pull a implement. Child's play too is what you're saying. I would exactly uh, <laughs> line myself up near a socket so that it's plugged in, hmm. and uh, just go absolutely go to town on Hannibal Lecter. Very nice. I mean, I will say. I think both of you would probably die. <laughs> yeah, I'm just without gonna, a doubt. I mean, I'm going to preface it by saying. You know, you don't really stand a chance. No, that's the most likely scenario. Yeah. Death. Yeah. Well, let's see how Graham fares, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So several years pass. Will Graham is now retired, but a new killer, the Tooth Fairy, is running rampant. Graham's old FBI colleague, Jack Crawford, ropes him into helping by showing him photos of the victims. And this is where I would like you to take another guess at the number of deaths mentioned in that discussion. So I think... The whole MO of this killer, the Tooth Fairy, is that he kills families, like a whole household full of families, doesn't he? So I've, I'm going to take a guess at four, a mum, a dad, and two kids. Dan? Is it cheating if I agree? Because <laughs> no. it's sad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go one kid then okay. instead of two. Well, you're both wrong. <laughs> ah. um, he actually kills two families. Mm, so right. when we show up at that yeah at the very beginning of the film he's already killed two families two families of five so oh, i'm sorry wow. but you're both, <laughs> i don't know if we should do another count at this point because you've both uh you've already lost oh no uh, so really unfortunately quick. we already round up to 11 kills <laughs> because it was two families of five three children each which is obviously very grisly and and i was going to say this film uh is very crime thrillery like it's definitely in that subgenre hmm. and i don't know i mean mike do you prefer campier horror films do you prefer things like this that are so grisly i love grisly dark and i love this kind of films that are on the cusp of thriller and horror hmm. uh there was i remember um talking to kim newman the amazing uh, horror um academic uh, critic and he was talking about silence of the lambs being like a really difficult one to categorize like is it thriller or is it horror and he talked about uh, manhunter and red dragon as good examples because he was like look at uh, they're the same story obviously and he was like look at manhunter and it's much more clinical and it's much more of a thriller and he's like brian cox's hannibal 
is a bit more subdued, less campy, yeah. less monstrous. He's kept in a um, a white padded cell that's much more realistic. And then he's like, and then skip forward to Red Dragon, and Hannibal Lecter is like kept in a dungeon. It looks like <laughs> a castle, and uh, he's you know much more monstrous, and he's drooling and he's snapping at people and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I love a bit of campy horror. I mean, into yeah, the this mix. film it is grisly, but as you say, the performances kind of elevate it past something that's cut and dry. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So um, Will visits the home of the first victims, the Leeds. While there, he discovers our next death, and he guesses. Is it a dog? It is a dog, yeah. Oh, oh I'm kind of sad about is. getting that right. I, I know, about this, the dog. this one gets tricky because, yeah. yes, he finds a dog bed and questions why the body wasn't found during the initial investigation. Mm. And then later on, it's, it's uh, confirmed that the dog was killed prior to the family being killed. That's right. Oh, okay, so it doesn't yeah. alert and bark. Exactly. Um, Graham is ready to call in his favor and head home at this point, but Crawford pushes him to continue, suggesting that to really understand the tooth fairy, Graham must make a visit to the only other person who could get inside his head, Hannibal Lecter. Nice. I wanted to have like a sirens blaring kind of moment Yeah. Uh, when I said his name, but I feel like we've already kind of talked about him a lot, so maybe <laughs> it's kind of lost that effectiveness. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, so Will visits Lecter. I need your advice, Dr. Lecter. You want to know how he's choosing them, don't you? I thought you'd have some ideas. I'm asking you to tell me what they are. Why should I? This scene is actually super familiar to what we've already seen in Silence of the Lambs. It's kind of set up very similar to that first scene where Clarice goes and yeah. visits him. It's almost a carbon copy, isn't it? I remember. Yeah, mm. and, so, and so I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I think, like, how do we think that scene stacks up to Jodie Foster's scene? Well, it's not on the same level, I don't think. No, it's nowhere near. I think that's iconic. Mm. That's iconic cinema, that scene. And there have been like loads of video essays about it, lots of analysis. And I can see why they would try to pay homage to it and continue that thread. But at the same time, you're like, do your own thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to counter that by saying th- this, this book is the very first time we're ever introduced to the character of Hannibal Lecter. And this scene in the book is the very first time the public was ever introduced to the character. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So that whole beginning part in this film isn't, uh, it doesn't okay. happen in the novel. Hmm. So this scene where he goes to visit Lecter, we kind of are given a little bit of backstory about him, but this is the first time anyone ever, you know, came into contact with him as a character. And I think it's unfortunate within this film because obviously at this point, that was, it was fresh in 1981, but in 2002. Yeah. We'd already had two, three films, if you count Manhunter. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit tired by this point, isn't yeah. it, I think? And because Silence of the Lambs, like you said, is so iconic, everyone just goes, oh, okay, they're just doing that thing from the Silence of the Lambs. Like, even the same actors, which mm-hmm. is quite cool, but they've got the same actors playing, like, the guards and the people that work mm-hmm. in this facility mm-hmm. and everything. Um, and it's almost shot for shot, isn't it? Like, it's as he walks similar. down the corridor and it's everything. It's very similar. Mm. So, and also, I was going to say, what do we think about Will Graham as a counterpoint to Hannibal rather than Clarice? Well, this is interesting because, Dan, you might be able to comment on this as well because I think the best Will Graham is the TV show one, Hugh mm. Dancy, because yeah. I think the point of his character in the book is that he's this quite damaged guy who is who basically has the brain of a serial killer like he's almost a psychopath himself he just happens to be on the good guy side but he can think like psychopaths mm, he uses his powers for good and in, yeah. in the tv show that's really comes across like he's this really kind of unhinged guy whereas ed norton is a bit too squeaky clean i think in this film that's fair yeah and also i think once again the novel benefits from being um told through lots of different viewpoints mm-hmm. so you get inside that head a little bit more and you see that troubled past you see that kind of Ability to think like a serial killer mm. a bit more. 
But it's like Edward Norton is a great actor. He is. For sure. But I agree with you. I just don't think that he portrays that manicness the mm. same way. Yeah, which I think is is uh, integral, especially in his relationship with Hannibal. Yeah. But I think Hannibal senses that, that there's this little bit of evil in him and he's trying to kind of coax it out of him. Yeah. And with Ed Norton and also with Clarice, it's not as like tasty. That, no. That, that dynamic between mm. them. Nice mm. pun as well. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of supposed to be like two sides of the same coin or something, yeah. aren't they? Will Graham mm. and Hannibal Lecter. But I don't know whether they, Brett Ratner gets that in this film. <laughs> no, I'm not no, sure no. he's putting that across. I think he's trying to make him into, yeah, like a male version of Clarice Starling, basically. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. Uh, so as Will is leaving Lecter's, Freddie Lowndes, who is played brilliantly by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is a slimy reporter for the Tatler, snaps a photo of him and reveals Graham's involvement in the case to the public. Will then visits the second murder site, the Jacoby home in Birmingham, Alabama. Searching around the wooded property, he discovers the killer has been secretly watching the family from atop a tree near the property. We also get confirmation of one more kill. Mike, any ideas? Is this a cat? Good job. Uh, yes, it is. It is uh, a pet. Because I thought, okay, both households lose a pet. So, yes, yep, yep, yep. they do. They do. So now we're up to 13 kills, which, you know what? I know you guys have already gotten the kills wrong, but you're remembering them now as we go along. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so we're nearly a third of the way into the film, but the killer is finally introduced. Francis Dollarhide is haunted by memories of his abusive childhood with a grandmother who repeatedly threatened to cut off his penis after he wet the bed. So I kind of understand why he's a little troubled. <laughs> yeah. Grandma, I'm sorry. Oh, Francis, I've never seen a child as dirty and disgusting as you. Look at you. You're soaking wet. Get out of my bed. No. Go back up to your room. He's obsessed. Uh, he has an obsessive body image, seeing himself as the Red Dragon after the famous painting The Great Red Dragon and the Woman Clothed the Sun by William Blake, and hates the name The Tooth Fairy given by the press because he actually has the an abnormality of the cleft palate. Uh, which causes him to be ostracized by others. We also learn that he idolizes Lecter, so we kind of can see where his head is at a little bit. Hmm. Um, I was going to say now, like, what do we think of this character compared to Buffalo Bill? I know we're comparing a lot to Silence of the Lambs, but uh, I was thinking about this, and I was like, the Tooth Fairy, I mean, spoilers, but he kills people. Buffalo Bill never actually kills anyone, to my knowledge. That's really interesting. Well, he, I think or he's he? He, not in the film. We don't really yeah. see him kill anyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. Although he, there is, I think, is a series a... of bodies before right. the films right, happen. Right. Mm. I think Buffalo Bill is much scarier, personally, the, than Francis Dollarhide, mm. although they're both pretty creepy. Mm. What about you? Yeah, uh, I agree. You're not given as much exposition with um, Buffalo Bill, whereas with Red Dragon, I, I really like him, like both in both uh, the Ray Fiennes version and is it Richard Armitage yes. in the series. Um, there's just much more of a lore built around him and you really get to understand him. But I think that lack of understanding about Buffalo Bill is why he's scarier. Yeah, that's right. Because I think as it goes on, I feel quite sorry for Francis Dollarhide in a way. Like yeah. The, the, yeah. The, in some ways, he's quite an empathetic and sympathetic character and, and his relationship with... Emily Watson and yeah. mm -hmm. all of that stuff, you kind of feel for him a little bit more, whereas Buffalo Bill is just <laughs> fucking yeah. terrifying, yeah. isn't he? And I do think Red Dragon does a good job of creating him as a sympathetic character, but also, because you're familiar with the novel, mm. uh, we actually have a whole section of the book that's just backstory. Yeah. And it's told from him as a child, and uh, you learn more about his grandmother, who was a nasty piece of work, and his mm. mother, who didn't want him because of his deformity. So you do... He's doing these horrible things, mm -hmm. and 
that's not forgivable, but you'd kind of understand why he's arrived at that destination. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, but Buffalo Bill has this sort of, I mean, he, yeah. He is a terrifying character. He's 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 not he's a bit more two dimensional than Francis Dollarhide. Yeah. To be fair, Francis yeah. Dollarhide yeah. is a bit more of a nuanced character, whereas Buffalo Bill is just this monster. But, yeah. Um, well, it's scary. like why we're scared of uh, Michael Myers. Yeah. We don't want the backstory. We're scared yeah. of him because he's this anonymous figure. Yeah. Mm. We also find out that Dollarhide works for a film development company called Chromalex, and we're introduced to Reba McLean, who you said earlier was played by Emily Watson. Uh, she's blind. And so I think because of her blindness, uh, Dollarhide is drawn to her because A, she can't see his deformity, and B, she understands what it's like to be othered by, yeah. mm. by the public and by the larger world. So later in the film, the FBI discover a secret letter from the Tooth Fairy in Lecter's cell, asking him to correspond with the killer in the personal ads of the Tattler. It's written using a book code, but which book? It must be one available in Lecter's cell, which also, how sweet is Lecter's cell setup? <laughs> really nice. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to go to prison, which, you know, not not yet. Fingers <laughs> not crossed. Yet. Give it time. Yeah. I mean, it's great. <laughs> um, so even though they've yet to uncover the code's meaning, they let the ad run as it will allow them to have continued correspondence with the Tooth Fairy. So they're going to just let them continue to talk because it's the only lead they have. Mm -hmm. After the paper is printed, the code is finally cracked. Lecter told the Tooth Fairy to go to Graham's home in Florida and kill his family. It turns out Lecter had asked to use the telephone under the pretense of calling his lawyer, but instead he used it to track down Will's home address. Which, once again, who was not tracking that phone call <laughs> from his cell? Yeah. <laughs> really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to leave it here on this cliffhanger for a second because I would love to talk about the B-horror film of the week. Dan. Yes. What recommendation I, do you have for us? Uh, I have a very, very sweet recommendation all the way from Japan. Ooh. Oh man! Today, it is called Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Holy Hell. Holy shit! <laughs> have you heard of this movie? I have not. <laughs> I would love to say, oh yeah, I was just watching it last <laughs> yeah, night, but yeah. no. <laughs> it's it's billed as the Japanese Evil Dead, but That's I'd like great. to just add a little bit at the end saying, but bad, like really bad. Um, the workflow of this movie was that it was shot in 1995 edited in 2005 and released in 2009. It's 62 minutes long. I, as you can tell from that production and post-production, it's it's a bit of a shit show. Is it in Japanese? Just a little bit, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's just about this like haunted house, this bodybuilder and I think his girlfriend turn up and they have to fight all these spirits and demons and um, lo all these low budget effects. Someone obviously just saw Evil Dead and wanted to try it out. It's a lot of fun. Even though it's 62 minutes long, it feels really long. Um, <laughs> oh, that's always a good great. sign. Great. <laughs> so really selling this to me. <laughs> uh, check it out. I was going to ask, are there any kills with uh, like bodybuilding equipment? Uh, I believe there are, yeah. Um, what's that one that you do like? What's it called? Chest press? <laughs> This you is know. someone that well, doesn't go to the, the wrong crowd. No, no, no. Dan was in the gym earlier today. He knows. He knows. The chest press sounds like Victorian. <laughs> but that one, the mm -hmm. bar, the big bar. Yeah. And then those circular weights you put at the end of the big bar. Uh-huh. I always get to the gym. Plates? Yeah. yeah. Pl that's what they're called. Um, yeah. I think he stabbed someone with that bar. Oh. Because he's a bodybuilder. This reminds wow. me of, have you guys seen Killer Workout? No. <laughs> oh, well, you're missing out. Because it's, it's basically the same thing where it's like set in the 80s and there's a gym, but also it's like a, a disco. 
in a bar, <laughs> and and all the kills are workout equipment themed. Of course, and all, but it's not in Japanese, which gives that gives yours an added bonus. I think. Did it take like seven years to no, make it? No, no, it doesn't it? have quite okay. the legacy. I mean, that would be a good double bill. It sounds like though, those oh, two yeah. workout horror themed movies. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Dan. Oh, my pleasure. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So we left it on a bit of a cliffhanger with uh, Will's uh, wife and son. They were... They were in imminent danger of being mm. killed. Well, mm. maybe, maybe, who knows? Uh, it's actually not that big of a cliffhanger because immediately Crawford goes and collects Will's wife and son and moves them to a safe house. So that's fine. fine. But after Good. that close run-in with Graham's family, uh, Crawford suggests Will give a full expose to the Tatler about the Tooth Fairy, purposefully getting the profile wrong to anger the killer. Freddie Lowndes conducts the interview, believing that once the killer is caught, he can be the journalist to cover the story and write a book about the case and get famous and mm. just cash in. In addition to the story, the article also featured photos of Graham and Lowndes, purposely revealing the location to entrap the killer. However, Dollarhide sees the article early because he gets a publication right off the press before it's actually gone, you know, largely public. Mm. And rather than go after Graham like the FBI believes, he kidnaps and kills. Any guesses? Freddie. Poor Freddie. Yep, ding, ding, ding. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about his performance because um, Freddie Lowndes is a character that could be played very unidimensionally. Mm -hmm. uh, he could just be the bratty reporter. Mm. But I think he has a side to him where you can see him really struggling to gain recognition as a person. Yeah. And I think uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman really brings a level of humanity to his character. Yeah. He's, I mean, he, Philip Seymour Hoffman was amazing in everything he did, really, yeah. wasn't it's he? True. Absolutely, like, brought weight to every single mm. role he ever played, I think. And yeah, you're right. This role is pretty bare bones in mm. a way. He's just like the nasty reporter. Mm. But yeah, like, I've, I remember this scene really clearly, this, yeah. this, this moment. This is do what you I remember. See? Do you see? I remember <laughs> that. Uh, but he, he's amazing in it. And you do end up, like, really feeling, you know, rooting for Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman's character. Yeah, obviously. he's a little bit more fleshed out in the book because obviously this whole next section we're going to talk about it is told from his perspective, which mm. puts you in his corner instantly yeah. because how terrifying. And you also get the sense of him 
kind of pulling himself up by his bootstraps. He's working for the Tatler, but he knows he's a better reporter than that. And that's kind of why he's been a little bit greasy around the edges with Will and with this larger story because he sees it as an opportunity yeah. that he's going to grab. And I just, my my heart kind of goes out to him. <laughs> he gets what is face bitten off or something yeah. and set on fire or something yeah. like that, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, he wakes up in Dollarhide's home with his entire body glued to an old-fashioned wheelchair, which what kind of glue is this man using? Ooh. And he's tortured, including, as you say, he has his lips bitten off, which is just gruesome. It's gruesome. Uh, and then he's forced to record a video testimony making it clear that he, uh, that Dollarhide should no longer be referred to as the Tooth Fairy, but by his true identity, the dragon. It wasn't me. Will you tell the truth now? Yes. About me. My work? Oh, yes, yes. My becoming? Yeah, y'all, yeah. I am the dragon, and you call me insane. Dollarhide then takes Lowndes back to Chicago, covers him in gasoline, and sends him rolling down the street with his entire body going up in flames. Which, if you're going to go out, I mean, what a way. Literally a blaze of glory. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, for me, the, the memorable kill from this movie. Yeah. And I think maybe any Hannibal kill ever really? across, across other iterations of it. I don't know about you guys. Mm-hmm. But it's just that image because he's going down a ramp into a parking lot. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. He does and the security guard sees him. Yeah. In the, in the book, he actually doesn't die from that. He survives long enough to relay some information back to Graham and he dies like in a coma. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's right. really bad. It's really gruesome. Interestingly, in the TV show, Freddie Lowndes is a woman as yeah. well. And oh, she's a really interesting her. kind of long-running character in it, isn't she? I think she has yeah. a lot more storyline, uh, yeah, a lot yeah. more going on. Um, I can't remember who plays her now, but yeah, she's a really good character in that. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. I didn't know that. Because I was going to say, I'm, like, I am like I have watched Manhunter and I've watched Red Dragon and I've read the book, but I've only seen the first episode of the show. Uh, it's really good. It's I really, really want to watch it. I do. It's just... Yeah. Time got away from me. I know. There's, There's a, a lot, lot of things to watch. There's a lot of TV shows. There's a lot of hours. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Although I have to say the series isn't as big and scary as some of the other series. It's three seasons, isn't it? Yeah. 45 minutes, yeah. maybe like 10 or a dozen mm-hmm. episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So compared to like some other big series, it's not too much. You can yeah. get through it. I mean, I would watch it for Gillian Anderson alone. Oh, but the yes. thing is, I just end up re-watching X-Files. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just go through the Gillian back catalog. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what I always do, yeah. <laughs> So after killing Lowndes, Dollarhide brings Reba to his home. He explains that he needs to do some uh, he needs to do some work. Uh, so he kind of he brings her to his house under the pretext that she's now feeling comfortable with him. They kind of have a romance that they're striking up, and he brings her back to the house to have some drinks and hang out. And he says, "Oh, I need to I need to turn on some films for work, but uh, don't worry about it. You can still stay here with me." And this is probably the dirtiest moment in the film because as she's on the couch, kind of snuggling up to him he's playing the whole movies at the next family he plans to kill yes and then he gets aroused by it and then they have sex and it's just really icky yeah uh, that's pretty grim isn't it it is yeah. really grim and i just feel so bad for reba um <laughs> she's so sweet in this, i know isn't she? yeah yeah uh, and then when he wakes up in the morning uh she's left the bed and he can't find her and he begins to go mad and at this point, we kind of realize the full extent of his his craziness because he begins to hear the dragon in his head. And the dragon is demanding that he sacrifice Reba. No. No, you can't have her! Dee, please don't let him have me. He won't. I'm for you. 
You like me. I know you like me. But he actually does have affection for her, so he refuses, and he nearly kills himself. He puts a shotgun to his head. Uh, but at the last moment, he, he stops. And then following advice from Lecter, Graham is looking in-depth at the home movies of both families, believing that they hold clues to the killer's identity. They realize the killer must have seen the movies, given his specific knowledge of the inside of both homes. And by comparing the films, they realize both were made by the company Chromalex. And here's another thing that I wanted to mention is that this film very much exists in a time capsule. I know. Because of the, of the book was published in 1981 and the film came out in 2002, which is kind of right at the edge where this is feasible. But I was thinking this film wouldn't be possible today. Yeah, the home video mm-hmm. kind of yeah. company. Yeah, I know. Which is a really fun plot device. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it wouldn't exist at all. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day about, do you remember that Robin Williams film, One Hour Photo as I well? I never saw that it's film, really good, but I've it's heard, creepy. I've heard it's great. Robin Williams is very good at being creepy in that. But uh, again, it's like that story... Kids now would be like, what is this one hour photo thing? It's like, it works in a photo development, you know, place. And uh, yeah, that kind of stuff just doesn't exist anymore, does it? Yeah, yeah. it's a shame. No. I mean, that some films like that, I mean, it's still, obviously it's still not out of the realm of possibility. Yes, yeah. we can remember it, but it'll be interesting to see how the story is remembered in 20 years time. Yeah, hmm. yeah, definitely. So meanwhile, Dollar Hyde has traveled to the Brooklyn Museum, home of the painting, because he believes to overcome the dragon, he must consume him. So he gains access to the painting by pretending to be writing a thesis on William Blake. And as he gets to the painting, he rips it up into shreds and literally eats it. So by now, he's kind of really off his rocker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like we definitely get the sense of that by this point. Yeah. Dollarhide returns to Chromalex and sees Graham, who by now has arrived at the plant. Realizing they've discovered his identity, he flees. But first, he stops at Reba's house, and we have our next kill. And he guesses. Is this the man who... The man who works with them, who fancies uh, Emily Watson's character. Is it that guy? Yeah. Kind of quite right. creepy and sleazy. Yes, yes. that is correct. Yes, is yes, correct. yes. Um, so stopping by Reba's house, he sees Ralph Mandy. I mean, That's his name it. isn't important. Ralph Mandy, <laughs> he's, yeah. He's a little bit of a bigger player in the book, but in the film, he's only been in one scene previous. Yeah. And he's kind of irksome to Dollar Hyde, and he's rude to Reba. Yeah. Uh, so he sees Ralph Mandy uh, kissing Reba goodnight. And as Ralph walks away, Dollarhide shoots him point blank in the head. Wow. So we're now up to 15 total deaths. Wow. But we're getting towards the end, guys. <laughs> I mean, did you expect this many deaths? Because I didn't. Not at all, no. I was just about to say, that's high. It that's is. pretty high. It is, yeah. And we're not even finished. You know, we're not. We could but get higher. Getting there. <laughs> it's a pretty bloodthirsty film, isn't it? Yeah. It is. <laughs> and once again, like, Hannibal hasn't really even been in that. He's kind of no. been in the background of this the entire time. Mm. He's like... He shows up, he gives Will advice, but yeah. not really because he's kind of dangling it like a string. But every single scene that he's in, it it's like he's trying to outdo himself throughout the entire film. He just gets campier and campier. <laughs> he does. I remember him saying something. He says the word oodles a lot. I have oodles. He does a lot of that. Oh, yeah, give me your best impression. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's 100% enjoying this, though. Oh, he's loving it. Oh, yeah. He's just there. He, he's playing from the sidelines. He can't really leave. Like He also likes that the Tooth Fairy uh, idolizes him. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's not above uh, a little bit of fandom. Fan service. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so Reba awakes in Dollar Hyde's house where he's pouring gasoline around the room. He threatens to kill Reba with his shotgun. Uh, instead, he lights the house on fire and then... What do we think happens next? Is this is this when we're supposed to think that that he's 
going to kill him? Like, is it he's going to kill them both, basically? Is that right? Like, that, that he's died in the fire or something? Yeah, so you get the impression that he kills himself. Yes. Because he lights this room on fire, and Emily Watson is there. Emily Watson. Reba <laughs> is there. And obviously she's blind. So he takes a shotgun, and he shoots it. And then he lets her go. Mm-hmm. So she's trying desperately to get out of this room that's on fire. And in doing so, she uh, he the only key she knows is around his neck. So she goes down to get the key and she feels his shotgunned face. So she realizes, oh, he's killed himself. She gets the key and she, she flees. So mm-hmm. is he dead? Mm-hmm. Um, as, as Reba leaves, she runs into Graham and Crawford and the rest of the FBI who are just then showing up at the house. Yes. So that's kind of where we're left. Uh-huh. And I, I wanted to talk about this as well because it, it, it is filmed well. And yeah. it is filmed uh, ambiguously. But I think this part of the film works so much better as a novel because it's all told from Reba's point of view. Mm. And she's blind. Yeah. So you really, I mean, you know she's an un- unreliable narrator in the regard, in, you know, regarding her sight. But you trust her as a character to tell her truth. Yeah. So... For me, reading it, I had forgotten the twist. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it because it's written very believably in that yeah. regard. So yeah. Hmm. Supposedly, we're up to to sixteen deaths now. We're led to believe. Okay. Mm. Uh, Will returns to Florida with his family, and everything is supposedly hunky dory. But then, as Will enters his house, he realizes all of the mirrors have been smashed, which <laughs> is kind of his trademark because he doesn't like his own reflection. It's creepy that. I remember when I first watched this as a teenager, my girlfriend at the time was so scared by this film that after we'd watched it, it was like the middle of the night, she made me walk her to the bathroom because she was scared that she was going to find the mirror smashed in the bathroom. (laughs) So she was like, can you come with me? Like, there you go. But that is a creepy thing, that when they see all the mirrors smashed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And it happens earlier in the film as well that he's done it in his own house, but because Reba is the only one to go to his house, she doesn't notice the smashed mirrors because she obviously doesn't need them. Um, so he sees Dollarhide holding a mirror shard to his son's head. Your son is about to change. Then your wife. You can watch. Then I'll take care of you. Thinking quickly, he begins to use Dollarhide's grandmother's psychology to kind of get a rise out of him. So he starts talking to his own son the way that Dollarhide's grandmother would talk to him, kind of calling him disgusting and basically inciting him to to let Will's son go and attack Will instead. Uh, he does. And the two are kind of in a struggle. They shoot each other. And Dollarhide is getting back up as Will's wife, Molly, comes into the room, grabs the gun, and takes the sucker out. Shoot him. Shoot him. Nice. nice. So that is actually the 16th death. Excellent. There we go. Very cool. That is our final death. However, the film, because it has to be wrapped up in a nice little bow, it basically ends with Lecter having written Graham a letter to kind of tie everything up. And as he's finishing writing the letter in his cell, a guard comes up and says, there's a young woman from the FBI here to speak to you. Would you like to talk to her? Who is it? Who could it be? <laughs> Which I think that does not happen in the book. It's so cheesy. <laughs> it is that so is. That's like, pre- that's like movie prequel kind it of is. stuff, isn't it? it? Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Have to I be mean, dumb. I will I will say like I I read the book uh, prior to rewatching the film to do the research for this, and I was completely entranced by the book. I really ripped through it. And then watching the film, I mean, to be fair, because I just read the book, maybe it wasn't, it kind of like felt like it was just chucking along through the plot points. Mm. Um, it, it felt efficiently made, but it also didn't feel like it had this kind of spark that maybe Silence does or yeah. or the series, as you guys are saying, does. Yeah, I think you're right. I think efficient is the perfect word for it. It's like, it's fine, isn't it? It's like solid, as far as I can remember. But uh, there's nothing particularly special about it, not in comparison to some of these other Hannibal uh, texts mm-hmm. yeah 100 for that reason i i always forget this film exists yeah yeah for for that exact reason exactly and um, it's kind of like glossy and it's got good actors yeah and exactly. high production mm-hmm. values but that's kind of it isn't it yeah, yeah. no it's slick isn't it yeah. but it's not uh it's not covering any new ground and i think i think manhunter is probably a far better installment in the larger canon because it was the first time uh lector was put on screen and it Maybe the story also felt a bit more fresh back in 1986 when the when the book had also just come out as yeah. well. But I feel like you ask any schmo on the street, you know, how they know Hannibal Lecter and the first word out of their mouth is going to be Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, definitely. Do you guys have you, do you want to read the novel now? I think I kind of do. How many are there? There are four. In the series? Okay. Four. So it's, uh, it is Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, and then Hannibal Rising. I think I, I'm interested. Are they quite chunky or are they... Um, Quite easy to get yeah, through. Yeah, they're easy to yeah. get through. Quite easy. Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, I would do it. And yeah. I'd, I'd try to do a, make a big deal out of it and watch the films as well, watch the series maybe mm-hmm. too. I like that they're all quite different. The film, you know, if you if you get mm-hmm. rid of Red Dragon, they're all quite different to each other. Like Manhunter is very much its own thing, and then Silence mm-hmm. of the Lambs, and then Hannibal, the Ridley Scott film, is a really weird, different thing. It's all yeah. set in Rome, and it's like mm-hmm. it's completely different stylistically mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. and they're quite interesting as a trilogy. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, is it a thing where Hannibal Lecter is only really appealing when he's not playing the main villain? Agreed. Yeah. Yep. Too yep. much of him is, it doesn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see future installments, future interpretations of the yeah. text. Mm-hmm. And there will be some, oh, definitely. no doubt. No yeah, doubt. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Although I feel like Anthony Hopkins will always sort of be remembered as playing this role, even if he got hammier and hammier as it went on. He <laughs> <laughs> so. really did. Thanks so much for joining us for another death-by-death breakdown of a classic horror film. For more Kill Count content, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at KillCountPod. You can also watch tons of great horror content on Fear, the home of horror, on YouTube. All links are in the show notes. And join us next week for another episode of Kill Count. Kill Count is hosted by Ali Penelope, Mike Munzer, and Dan Yakun. Produced by Jay Cunningham and Jake Yard. Edited by Jamie Maisner. Social media by Ugne Dereshkevichuta. So this week, Mike, you've written us a horror haiku. Let's see how how clever Dan and I are. <laughs> okay, here we go. This is a masterpiece. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. Scorching deep south sun. Perfect for a barbecue. Fetch my sledgehammer. Oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Awesome. I get, I mean, yeah, that sounds like that. Correct. Woo! Very I good. Mean, can you just say it one more time, though? Because it sounded so poetic. That sounded really nice, yeah. It did. Really I was like, nice. Damn. I did it in a, as a dramatic reading. Get that embroidered. Uh, scorching deep south sun, perfect for a barbecue. Fetch my sledgehammer. 
That's really nice. Mike, Mike, you missed your calling. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Uh, maybe it was a bit too easy, but, you know, originally it was fetched by Chainsaw, and I was like, no, no, that's, <laughs> no, no, no. that's, that's way too easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so um, great. Oh, man, that was a fun one. I like that. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.